0: We're going to prepare our hearts this morning for worship and mark 8:36 says this for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul so if you would please take a few minutes to ask the lord to prepare your heart for worship Turn in your bulletins to the call to worship, which is taken from Psalm 66. And if you are able, please stand. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. of your power, your enemies will All the earth will worship you and will sing praise to you. They will sing praises to your name. Bless, Bless our God, O peoples. And sound His praise abroad. So let's sound His praise this morning. If you would, turn in your Trinity hymn books to hymn number 35. Hymn 35, Immortal, Invisible. Would you lead us in prayer this morning and ask the Lord to bless our time? Thank you, brother. Please be seated. Now again, if you would turn in your Trinity hymn books to hymn number 482. 482. Morning, as we continue our consecutive readings through the book of Revelation. If you would turn to chapter 12 this morning, chapter 12. This is an interesting uh, chapter, and uh, it's worthy of a deep uh, uh, Sunday school lesson or a, a Bible lesson. Uh, there's a lot of sim- symbolism in this uh, chapter. It speaks of the woman, the child, and the dragon. Many interpreters view this dramatic conflict between God and Satan in chapter 12 as the heart of Revelation. Verses 1 through 6 establish the conflict between two heavenly signs. The woman, which represents God's people in verses 1, 4, and 6, and her messianic child... Mentioned in verses 4 and 5, and in verses um, in representing the dragon, which is Satan, in verse 3. Then in verses 7 through 12, it describes the war in heaven, which results in the dragon being hurled to earth. Finally, in verses 13 through 17, describe the war on earth between the dragon and and God's people whom God protects. So please hear the word of God. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would nourish for 1,260 days. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when they faced death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children, who keeps the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. May God bless the reading of His Word. Well, as we turn to prayer this morning, we want to remember the Grace Baptist Church in Islamabad, Pakistan, and Pastor Daniel. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this beautiful Lord's Day morning. We thank You uh, for... Uh, bringing us together this morning, setting aside the issues of the day and and, uh, to come here today and to worship you, to lift you up, to magnify your holy name. Father, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins, which are many. Forgive us, Father, of sins of our thought life, sins of the words that we use, sins of the uh, things that we do, and Father, things, uh, sins of the things that we fail to do. Lord, cleanse us this morning and make us fit to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord God, we praise you this morning for you are the sovereign king of the universe. There is nothing that escapes your attention. You are the creator and sustainer of all things. You are gracious. You are faithful and true. You are truly an awesome God, the one true living God, and there is no other. So, Father, we lift you up and we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to your children. And we ask, Lord, that you would use us to the extension of your kingdom that we might be shining lights in this dark world. Father, we thank you for answered prayer You've been so gracious when we come to you and and from our heart we pour out a request to you. We've been asked to cast our burdens upon you because you care for us and Father, how thankful we are. Lord, you are our rock, you are our anchor, you are the lighthouse, you are our all in all. Father, we we do think of uh, the Grace Baptist Church and Pastor Daniel in Islamabad, Pakistan, and, and we do pray for this church, Father. We pray that uh, you would bless them with spiritual growth and, and uh, strength for their families and friends and visitors. We pray that they would continue to print and distribute Christian books in the Urdu language. We pray that God would guide them to know what books to print and and, uh, we ask that you would bless that ministry. We pray, Father, that libraries may be established in churches and that bookshops and book rooms may be established in every city in Pakistan. We pray that the seed of the Word of God may become fruitful that has been sown during the family camp and the men's fellowship camp. We pray for our Afghani Christian brothers and sisters so that they can reach safe places and can freely continue to glorify our Lord. We also thank you and pray for their daily life needs, and we pray that you would open doors to convey the message of the gospel to needy people. We pray, Father, that the message of the gospel gospel can be shared continually with non-Christian friends who are in contact with them. Father, we do pray this morning for... Uh, Sister Trish, as she is recovering, growing stronger day by day, and we just thank you for her and her testimony. What an example that we can look to in times of suffering. We ask, Lord, that you would be with Sybil and bring bring uh, healing to Sybil's body. We we thank you for Pastor Walden and the example that he has shown in his faithfulness to his family and, and the love that he has poured out and the support, and the caregiving. Father, we pray that you would bring him back soon. Father, we rejoice this morning with the Bishop family, with Mac and Mac Jr., with Paula and Pam. We ask, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would comfort them through the grieving process. But, Father, they, they are thankful that they have hope and that they do not need to grieve as others that do not have this hope. So we thank you for that. We ask, Lord, that you would bring healing uh, to the Perrys, to the Montries, to Marge Ames, uh, Matt Torres. Uh, we pray for Jimmy, that you would continue to bring healing to his body, and that he'll be back with us soon. We remember Tommy Sue and Rhonda, and, and um, we, we ask, Lord, that, uh, that you would intervene in all these lives and those that we have not mentioned Pray, Lord, that you would uh, strengthen and encourage them in their faith. Father, we pray for our nation this morning. We pray that you would bring genuine salvation to our president, Joe Biden. We pray, Lord, that you would bring salvation to Kamala Harris. We pray, Father, that you would bring, uh, bring about salvation to many that serve in the halls of Congress. Uh, that serve on the Supreme Court, Father. We have sinned as a nation, and the abortion rate continues to climb. But we do see some light, and we ask, Lord, that you would bring this terrible, terrible uh, thing to an end, that you might save thousands and thousands and thousands of of the unborn. Father, we have, again, so many things to be thankful for. But most of all, we are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, who, even though we were sinners, He died on that cross at Calvary. He was buried. And He rose again on the third day. And that is our hope. What a blessed hope that is. So, Father, be magnified today. Be glorified. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to your precious word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you would, turn in your Trinity hymnals to page 444. Father, I know that all my life, and if you are able, please stand. (laughs) Thank <laughs> Brother John?
1: I appreciate those readings from the book of Revelation. What a great book to be able to bring our hearts and our minds to those thoughts of a, difficult world that we live in. I don't think you can escape that when you read that book as a whole. And yet, that knowledge that we live with, that our Lord really is sovereign. He is going to win the battle in the end. And because we are his, that means we will be on the side of the victorious Christ who will lead us home forever. That is, that is a good thought to keep in mind in days when the world that we live in seems to be uh, in constant turmoil. Uh, it's not just our nation, but it is many nations who seem to be suffering with a great deal of doubt about the way forward, how best to be able to, to live in it. And certainly we as God's people, uh, we understand because we we find the way difficult sometimes ourselves. There is a restlessness, I believe, that is... Uh, dominating so much of what goes on now, uh, a searching for a way out of difficult situations, and that is true not only, of course, on great levels worldwide, national, but also in our hearts. There is a, a restlessness there that oftentimes forgets whose child we are, forgets that we we do have that conquering Christ who has promised to lead us to victory in the end. And you may wonder um, how exactly I I am seeking to apply that to the uh, sermon that we're looking at, but for me it it fits perfectly well together. We're going to be looking at Philippians 4, if you would like to go ahead and open up in your scriptures to that place. But uh, that restlessness of heart, I believe it's Augustine who once said, "The heart is restless until he finds rest in, in God." Well, uh, we we can forget that sometimes. We can be so caught up in the things of the world that we actually set aside the spiritual as though, well, that's something to think about on Sundays or later sometimes. But it is something that if we are to glorify our Lord with all that we do here on earth, then it is something we need need to pay attention to on a daily basis. I wonder if you are like me. Um, I I was asked uh, to preach uh, in the middle of the week this week, and. Um, uh, it was it was a lot easier when I was pastoring and I just knew if I had done first Corinthians 312 last week I was going to do first Corinthians 3:13 the next week what well, what do you preach on well uh, i I uh, found myself grumbling a lot this week i I found myself uh, the the busyness of the week was one of those things I th- I said to myself, I thought those days were over. I retired. I got I got past that hump, but there are weeks to come up that I, I'm have so many appointments, people to meet, things to do that I I, um, I, I can I can be a grumbler. Uh, that that can cause problems in your fellowship with Christ. In case you don't know that. Because if you all look at the Old Testament, particularly the account of the Israelites as they come out of the land of Egypt, they did a lot of grumbling, and God didn't like it. And oftentimes they were judged for that grumbling. So if you think it's a small thing, then uh, you need to rethink that. And, And another of the common characteristics that creates this restlessness of heart I want to speak to today is that that matter of, of greed, there is a, a Greek word that lies behind that. I think ultimately it, it stems from the Tenth Commandment where we are told not to covet, not to want those things that are not ours. There, there is a, uh, a meaning behind the Greek word that is very simply uh, is something along the lines of never enough. W- whatever you get... Whatever you've longed for, whatever you've dreamed about, you tell yourself, "As soon as I get that, boy, life will be life will be easy. It'll all it'll all be downhill from there." And, and that's simply not true, because whether you're a kid looking for a certain gift under the Christmas tree, or an adult who just dreams of the day when you have more money at the end of the month than you did at the beginning. Uh, we, We all tend to think, boy, just that one more thing, God, and all will be well. We find that restlessness of heart is something that disturbs our fellowship with God, ultimately because it says to God, you haven't done good enough. You haven't done well enough by me. We doubt the goodness of God too often when we hear ourselves saying, not enough. I need more, God, before I can really find that rest in life that I desire. And so I thought it a good thing, uh, if if not for you, at least for me, to turn back and to see, hear from Paul as he speaks. I'm going to focus on verses 10 through 13, but if you don't mind, I'd like to start back at 4 so you can kind of get a running start. ...into what he he wants to talk about. He says, "...rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I will say, "...rejoice. Let your forbearing, forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. May we bow in prayer. Father, we need to hear you speak to us today, for our hearts are too easy sometimes. Perhaps it's just a matter of spending too much time listening to the news or considering the wants that we have in our life that go unmet, whatever it is, Father, that we come here this morning and we hear that we are to find a contentment, a joy in life, no matter what the circumstances are, teach us so that we might find that contentment and joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is it? about that character of Paul that led him to say such things as what he has said. Rejoice always? Seriously, Paul? Have you not looked at what's going on in my life? Have you ever thought thoughts like that when you hear these words from Paul? Well, he had an easy. He was an apostle. He, he, he had some, something about him that we just don't have available. Well, what utter nonsense. Because we have the spirit of God that he had. That same spirit dwells with us, empowering us. And did he have an easy life? Uh, Go to the letters to the Corinthians and read about the beatings that he endured. The times that he spent going hungry, cold at night, imprisoned for his faith in Jesus Christ. Not because he had done bad things, but because... He had done good things. He had done what was right in the eyes of God. And this is the man who said to the people listening, You, you rejoice always. And again, I'll say it, just in case you didn't get it the first time, you rejoice. This is the man who writes the the letter that we are looking at this morning. And he he brings out three things in the, the 10th through the 13th verse, I think, that can help us to find That contentment in life, that satisfaction with what God has given us at this moment that allows us to say, my God is good and the life he has given me is good. The first thing that we note is gratitude. A a gratitude that simply cannot be taken away by the circumstances of life. Paul had reason to be ungrateful. I mean, I certainly don't know that I would have been up in a prison, my feet in stocks, and singing praises to God on the night that I had endured that. I I don't know that I would have been rejoicing, but he was. He was singing his praises to God because while he may have had cause in some people's minds to be ungrateful, Paul was always grateful that God had put him where he was. And it wasn't just the physical abuse that he suffered, Paul writes this particular letter from prison. He he writes as one who is enduring at that very moment the the pains of being away from family and friends. But I don't think that was the worst for him, because he had just gotten letters from other churches, the the, the letters to the Colossians, uh, the uh, the letters. Uh, to the Philippians, to the Ephesians, and to Philemon. All those were written about the same time, and they all had bad news in them. Every last one of them. There was not just the concern for his own bodily needs, there was the concern for Christ's church that weighed him down. And anybody who is a leader in a church will tell you that those are heavy burdens to bear, and yet he still finds found cause to rejoice despite the things that he was having to endure Paul never forgot the good things that God had done for him despite the problems in the churches he he tells the, the Philippians that he is thankful for them he is thankful for a gift that they had sent to him it was unexpected in some respects because uh, he had not asked for gifts and in fact, in general terms, he didn't accept gifts. In fact, he speaks to the Corinthians about just that thing. He, he says, I never ask anything from you. That's why he worked as a tent maker, so that he could supply for his own needs and for the needs of others at the same time. And, and so it was that the Philippians sent a gift, and he, he just found it particularly encouraging at that moment in life. It was a, a kind of gratitude that was not marred by impatience, you know, grumbling. When are they going to send me something? Grumbling because I needed it last week and I don't have it. Grumbling because it's cold. Where are my clothes that I left in Philippi? Now I don't know that he left clothes in Philippi, but he does mention that in another letter. But 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 it wasn't it wasn't just that for him. There was no impatience. Because he says, now at last you have revived your concern for me. It doesn't mean he's saying, well, it's about time, guys. It's cold down here in these dungeons. That's not what he was saying. At last the moment has presented itself. It, it won't be more than, what, a month, month and a half from now uh, that the, the trees will all be leafless and you will see you will see just a bunch of bare branches out there but you you look forward to next spring because you know at that time those the life of the trees will be not renewed necessarily but it'll be evident again they're alive during the winter at least i hope my trees are alive during the winter cuz i like to see the the beauty of the leaves when they sprout in the spring paul says at last The circumstances were right. You wanted to do it before, but you have done it now. And yet, how often have we, when we've seen our circumstances of need, said, God, when are you going to do something? I've waited. How many of you have been praying for lost family members for years and years and years, and sometimes you wonder, God, when are you going to fix this? Well, Paul Displays no such impatience here. Their concern blossomed and he was grateful to God that that moment had finally come when God felt he needed to move the Philippians to send that gift that he needed because he always saw God in the background. No matter whether it was people that helped or not, he saw God in the background. We need to be more trusting of God like that. We think, I have to have it now when our Heavenly Father is saying, now is just not a good time. Trust me, you'll have it when you need it. That, that was a part of that, that constant gratitude that Paul had in his writings that we see evident so often. And you'll notice his gratitude was really not for the gift itself. Quite frankly, he says, I could have done without it. But that, that's all right. I mean, I, I'm glad it's there. His gratitude was in Christ his gratitude was in the lord and not in the gift he didn't he didn't so much enjoy the fact that the money would make life a little bit easier prisoners in that day they generally they weren't like our prisons where they're supplied three meals in a cot or whatever it is that they're given if if friends family didn't come to your aid you didn't eat You didn't have some warm blanket to warm up with on cold nights. But what was important to him was that he saw in it their faithfulness. Christ's continued work in the Philippian church to help them to grow in the faith and remain steady in their commitment to the Lord and to his chosen servant. When our gratitude is in the Lord then we are going to find that some of the disappointments of life are just a little less disappointing because we will see that it is simply his timing that we should have to wait. We're actually supposed to grow in that grace of patience. You don't get a good dose of it when you are born again and then just go with that for the rest of your life. Patience is one of those things... Uh, that that will you should continue to work at as God leads you through your life and i don 't want anybody any of you talking to my wife after church about that. There is a satisfaction secondly that I think is uh, exhibited here in these these verses that help us to understand how we find that God glorifying contentment in life a satisfaction that simply cannot be disturbed. Paul's sense of, of, of uh, contentment was not found in circumstances, which is where our, ours generally is, is to be found. Ancient philosophers, uh, the Stoics by name, had a, a picture of human life that said, all you need to do is get things under control. You know, if you can just settle yourself so that... You're not, you're not bothered by what goes on around you. You're fine. Uh, if you're not familiar with stoic philosophy, uh, I may uh, illustrate my age here, but there, there's a character from the old Star Trek series, the, the Spock guy in there. He was kind of that guy. He's supposed to always... Nothing bothers him. Nothing phases him. No emotional content to it. That's, that's the way they wanted to order their lives. And essentially, for me, what it boiled down to, is, as far as I could understand it, was just, you know, I'm going to always expect disappointment. That way, if it comes, you know, good. I've already learned to deal with it. Uh, that, that is not Christian. Whatever, however close it may sound to what we're talking about here, that is not biblical in its content. Our, our contentment is different. We do not depend upon the world for joy, because we depend upon God for our joy. And you know what? God, our Father, Son, and Spirit loves us. They love us. He loves us so that we never need to wonder, is He going to continue to supply my needs? He will. He will in due time. There was a there was a uh, ancient Roman philosopher uh, he's also statesman in other things by the name of Cato and uh, he he was able to stand in the face of fierce uh, uh, opposition he was a, able to, to stand proud and firmly in his convictions without being moved but the word proudly is significant there it, it was his pride that gave him the source of of his ability to take a stand firm against those who stood against him. Cato, therefore, is not like Paul at all. For, for Cato, he stood with that defiant look of scorn as his, at his enemies and said, you are not going to change me. Paul's stance was different. Paul stood erect and fearless before a persecuting world, with a great delight in the God that he knew had saved him. He, to the end of his days, he continued to say, I don't know why God did this for me, because I was a persecutor of the church. you think he would get over that, but are there not sins in your life that you continue still to go back to 5, 10, 20 years later? We know God has forgiven us, and yet we cringe when they come to mind, and we say to ourselves, How does God love sinners like me? How is it possible? And yet we know from Scripture that he does. Ours is not a fatalism of the Stoics or, for that matter, of the Islamic uh, people of today. Ours is not a, a fatalism that simply says we are detached from the world's ups and downs because, well, you know, whatever God does, God does. Whatever happens, happens, and that's just the way life goes. That, again, that's not Christian. The world may face adversity stoically, but only Christians can face it joyfully. We can face the worst of times with the knowledge that our Father is for us, our Savior has died for us, our Spirit, the Holy Spirit is working with us, and that will never cease. He will be with us to the end of our days. Paul's contentment remained steady even as circumstances shifted wildly. Things for him would be great one day and the next day not so great. He had learned a secret. But it wasn't like the secrets, <coughs> though it uses the same word here, mysteries. It wasn't the the secrets of the Gnostics of that day and age. And among the Gnostics, they, there were initiation rites that they went through, and then finally, when you had mastered a certain level of stuff, they gave you the secrets that nobody else knew that were supposed to make life so good. Paul says, I have a secret, but it's not one that I'm keeping from anybody, because whatever child of God is born into the kingdom, immediately. They have all those secrets, so to speak, that are out there. Those secrets that make life what is not only pleasing to God but satisfying to us. While well, the secret was meant to be shared, it was a secret that brought contentment when experience, experiencing abundance. He knew how to be well off, at least enough that you know, He knew what he was going to eat today and then there was food over there on the shelf that he could eat tomorrow. He, he had an abundance in life at times so that he could say, I'm not worried about what meal I'm going to eat tomorrow, what clothes I may have for this winter. Didn't didn't bother him because he had it. He knew he had it. And he says, I've learned how to be content there. Of course, the response of so many people was, Well, of course, I can be content if I knew where my next meal was coming from, if I knew that there was money in the bank, if I knew that my health was good. Well, sure, I could be content. And yet, how often do we read of people out in the public eye who seem to have everything? They have power. They have money. They're popular. Everybody wants to be close to them. And then we read one day that they committed suicide. That is not what does it for people. You cannot fill, fill that, that hole in the heart that exists when you don't have God, whatever the world may give you. And so Paul had found that in abundance, he could say very simply, this is God's gift to me. You remember what he, what he says in, in one of his letters. I don't remember which one it is. He says, but so long as you can give thanks to God for it, man... Eat up. Enjoy the meal that you have. Enjoy the the good things of the world that God has given to you. But, of course, just be aware that there's also going to be those days of poverty, those days of lack, of want, of need in your life that come along you. He says, that's all right because I've learned contentment in those situations also. He knew what it was like to live humbly, rejected by friends, family, Remember, he grew up a, a, a Pharisee in a time when the Pharisees were well thought of people. People, people looked up to Paul. He was, he was a leader among his people. He was, at least according to his own testimony, testimony, he was blameless with respect to the law. In other words, the very kind of person that everybody would say, wow, I wish I were a good man like Paul was. And now they had all forsaken him, turned against him, wanted to kill him, and came pretty close to it on several occasions. And yet he says, in humble circumstances like that, I nevertheless have learned to be content. He knew real hunger. He loved with persecution at almost every turn, every place that he went. It seems there was somebody who didn't like him for some reason Jews and Gentiles alike, and sought to put an end to him. He knew all these things, but nevertheless had found, despite them all, he was good with it. I I, I know God is watching. He He will never give me that which, by his strength, I cannot endure. And so he was able to press on in life. Paul had known abundance and found joy even when it was taken from him. That, you know, if you grow up poor and you don't ever have anything, it's not hard to say, I'm poor. When you've grown up and you found the blessings of the world in abundance and then they're taken from you, that's more difficult. Always compare it to uh, grew up, uh, we didn't have air conditioning in our home. that, That was fine. I lived without air conditioning. And tolerated it. I guarantee you, you try to take away my air conditioner now in the middle of the summer, I'm I'm, going to be upset with that. It is difficult to have things taken away, but Paul said, I have learned that in the fellowship I have with my Heavenly Father and His Son through the Spirit, whatever is going on, that is good with me. I can find the good that is there because I know my God is there with me in it. Gratitude, satisfaction, and finally, that strength that is needed to press forward when it is not easy at all. Paul makes it clear that his contentment is not a matter of self-discipline. And in fact, it has little to do with Paul as Paul, as much to do with Paul as a servant of Jesus Christ, as a child of God. I can do all things, how? Through Him who strengthens me. Not on my own, but through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, his strength was not that ability to do whatever he wanted to do, whatever he felt was right at the moment because he says, Hey, man, God's on my side, so I'm, I can just go out and do whatever I think is best. That, that is not what we are talking about here. It was instead that power to carry out the work of Christ that the Lord had very specifically set before him from the very beginning. You remember at the very start of his ministry, he was told, you are going to suffer many things for my name's sake. And Paul said, we'll see. And he did see. And he said, that's all right. Because again, God has strengthened me. These all things were possible for him Not because Paul wanted them real badly, but because God had told him this was what he was to do. The secret of the strength to do whatever God gave him to do was that he trusted Christ to be with him. He had heard before, he wrote this to the Corinthians, My grace is sufficient for you in a time when he was experiencing, I need to find another word, I can't say that very well, he had found strength when he didn't think that he could. My grace is sufficient for you were the words that he heard from his Lord. You can't do it, but I can. Just lean on me. Just trust me. His response to that promise was to confess, when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you ever go into situations that you're uncertain about when, when you're wondering, can I do this? Please, at that moment, tell yourself, no, I can't. I, 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 you know, whatever it is, I've actually been preaching for over 50 years. I still get a knot in my stomach when I come to stand before the people of God to share God's word. I still say to myself, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know, can I do this? But God gives us the strength to do what his bidding says is good for us at that moment. Let us not forget where our strength comes from. And if we do, we will find, like Paul, when we say, I'm too tired, I haven't studied enough, I'm not physically strong enough, whatever the excuse may be for not doing God's work, we will say, but I'm going to press on anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. We, in other words, don't use our excuses to lead us to inactivity in doing those things God has called us to do. It may be prayer. There are people that when I want to be prayed for, I make sure they, they know about it because I know that they are going to pray for me. And so it is, whatever gift God has given you, don't quit because you say, I, I'm just... Whatever, too old, too young, too inexperienced, too whatever, don't do that. Because it's not your strength anyway. It's God's strength that helps you. Paul was not dependent on others for strength or contentment. But he could not escape his need for Christ. And you can't either. I can't. If that that moment we begin to think to ourselves, I can do that. That ought to frighten you, because you cannot. His strength to do all things did not stem from his commission as an apostle of Jesus Christ. It came because he was a saint, one who had been saved from his sinfulness to be a holy person, living out that holiness in the eyes of the world. We need not let our weaknesses keep us from serving God more boldly and faithfully because we too are saints. That is not a special category in the church. That's every last one of us has been saved exactly the same way by faith in Jesus Christ. There are none of us here who have done enough that we ought to be single. That is, yes, but they're a special saint of some sort. Not so. If there's anything special about us it is because that strength we need has come through Christ. If your greatest hope and joy is to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant, and that that beats everything else, everything else that the world can offer to us, well done, good and faithful servant, from the Lord of the universe, if that's what drives you, you will find, you will find that contentment, that joy, even in the midst of horrible times in your life, that enables you to say, as we heard this morning in that letter, praising God in the death of a loved one. I heard this morning also from, or I think it was yesterday, some, someone else, a young woman who just lost her husband to cancer, praising God for the moments that they had had been able to find strength beyond what they expected because God supplied those needs if your goal is to hear from your lord well done go for it do whatever he calls on you to do and know this he will be at your side every step and you will find victory in spite of your weakness Perhaps even we could say, because of your weakness, because you will find that strength needed in him. May we bow in prayer. Our Father, we give thanks to you that while we do grumble and complain sometimes, we don't have what we want. Our situation is too difficult to bear up under. We, we are drawn back to those thoughts of Paul sitting in a damp, dank jail cell with very little to live off of other than the good graces of other people. And we hear him say, rejoice, rejoice always, rejoice in the Lord. Find contentment in what you have, where you are, what your circumstances are, because our God is with us. He loves us, he cares for us, and he will to the end. We pray that we may learn, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Well, thank you, Brother John. If you would, please turn in your hymn books, in your um, hymns of grace hymn books, to hymn number 389. 389. will be served downstairs and you're all invited. You are dismissed.